The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. live stream not that if you are watching live stream we're glad you are okay but uh you guys are doing awesome getting here on a cold morning it's great so um it's a good day we're gonna have some baptisms next hour we're dedicating some children and more baptisms thanksgiving offering just exciting to think about god using you guys to bless people around the world and in our city that's awesome um yesterday in spite of the snow and the blizzard and all of that we got out 2,149 of those shoe boxes, got packaged and sent out by a bunch of faithful people that fought through the storm and got here. That's awesome. Thank you. If you did that, yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. All right. So uh, lots of good things going on for sure. So, and I'm very excited about, we are wrapping up our study of the book of James today. I uh, can't believe it just flew by uh, for me anyway. And um, we're going to hit a passage and a topic that is just so relevant to us, and I, we need this, we need these words, and if you're familiar with the book of James, or if you're not, Miketchun is written by a guy named James, all right, and so he was the leader of the church uh, right after the time Jesus left. He was the leader, and there were some Christians that had been persecuted and, and dispersed. They were literally like some of the refugees you see on the news, just on the run, and living in other lands and settling in. And so James was trying to encourage them in many ways. And so this morning he's going to, this is his ending of his letter. It's his exclamation point. It's his underline. Like, what do we need to know in those times in our lives where we are just bombarded from many different directions and under a lot of stress? And, and what do we need to know? And so that's going to be our passage today. So, but I want to start it with this. Imagine if we could watch a video of the life of Jesus when he walked on this planet like just for a month, if we could just track what, we, what he did, or if we had access to his calendar, and we could see a log of his time, like what did he do? I think there would be something that would just absolutely blow us away, that we just have no idea that he did this that often. Because when you look at the life of Jesus, uh, he was always on mission. He was living with a focus. Uh, he was busy, but he was never in a hurry, never too rushed for somebody. When you think of uh, you are the savior of the world and you're walking through people with so many needs, how could you not be distracted? Or when you face the opposition that he did and the opponents and even when he was at the end of his ministry beaten and hung on a cross, how could you have the composure to ask the father to forgive them and not like nuke them? You know, like how could you, where do you get that? And I think what would blow us away, I think we would know in our heads, true or false, did Jesus pray? I think we would say true, he prayed. But I think what would absolutely stagger us would be the amount of time that Jesus devoted to prayer. Because I think there'd be a part of us that'd say, wait, you're the Savior, shouldn't you be out healing everybody, shouldn't you? But when you look at the life of Jesus, for example, you see verses that say that Jesus often withdrew to solitary places to pray. Or there were times that Jesus prayed throughout the night and I think there were a couple of reasons why Jesus prayed. He loved intimacy with his father. He just loved being with and talking to his father. I think Jesus also prayed for direction and for wisdom, for strength, for comfort. And again, I'm saying this is a no-brainer. If Jesus needed to do that, like, hello, like, don't we need that as well? And so I know 
uh, as a pastor, whenever you start talking about prayer, immediately, I have never met anybody that says, my prayer life is awesome. Like, I pray as much as I can. In fact, I think I pray too much. Like, I, I've never heard that. It's the exact opposite. I think if you want to convict somebody, you just say, how's your prayer life? And, oh, man. You know, like, we all know we should mourn. So, I don't want you to go to a guilt bunker this morning. What I want you to do, if you're, if, let's say Jesus' prayer life is a 10, let's say yours is a 9, okay? Or if yours is maybe more likely around the 1, 2, 3 range, I think God's desire this morning to you is to just, let's move this up. Let's be drawn into this amazing power of prayer because at the end of his letter, what James shares with his people is that he really wants them to understand that they can pray. That if there's something that's going to sustain them through all the adversity and all the challenge they're facing, it's going to be this amazing gift of prayer, all right? So um, that's where I want us to, to be this morning, and that's where I would love for God to take us if one notch up in our prayer lives with him. So let's pray before we talk about prayer. And I want to give you a minute right now just to ask God, God, would you speak to me this morning? Would you give me something that I need in my life, that I need to put to practice in my life? You ask God to help you learn something this morning. And if you could pray for me to make this, this passage very clear, as you'll see, there's a lot of layers and there's a lot of potential trails we could go down. But just to pray that I just make it clear that, that God would speak clearly to us this morning through his word. God, what gives me comfort as a teacher this morning is that this is a message you want your people to know. And so I just pray that I am out of your way and that you use your words to encourage your people uh, to move towards you in prayer in a deeper way than we are right now, in a deeper place than we are right now. So please do that. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right. So in your bulletin, there's an outline you can follow along. I'd encourage you to use that today. Um, there's six things we're going to see in this passage about prayer. This is also the kind of passage where there are so many places we could go. There's, there's many topics we could study, and especially this week, look at the notes where it says, for further study, I direct you to some passages and places you could study some of these things in a deeper level. Um, but let's look first. It's just, I think the very first verse, James is going to encourage us to pray when we're suffering. He says in verse 13, if anybody, is anyone among you suffering? let him pray. Again, the Greek word for suffering is just a mishmash of two words, bad feeling. Like, are you feeling bad? It was a very general word. It could just be life's hard, you're tired, you're being oppressed, uh, you're sick. Whatever it is that's going on, you are feeling bad. And again, he responds with a very basic word. He says, let him pray. There are many words he could have used for prayer. And this was a very basic one, a very broad one. It just meant just talk to God. And so it's interesting, as simple as that seems, when you're going through a hard time, talk to God. We don't do that. Like a lot of times, we go through a hard time, we whine, we complain, we kick the dog, like we get mad with everybody, we get frustrated, we're in a bad mood. Uh, like we talk to our friends about what's going on, but we don't talk to God. And so James just starts very basically, if you're suffering, you're going through a hard time, uh, then let's talk to God. And so you got to ask, okay, that's a no-brainer, why don't we just do that? And so I think it's healthy to ask ourselves, why don't we pray? That makes so much sense, but why don't we pray? I think there's a couple of big reasons. Number one is, a lot of times we just don't think God cares. 
We just don't think, you know, he's too big. He's, you know, I, I've heard somebody say that before. It's like, don't pray your stuff to God. He's too big. He doesn't really care. He doesn't have time for you. He's solving world hunger. He doesn't care about how stressed you are. And that's, that's not the God of the Bible uh, at all. In fact, somebody might say, well, would you bother the president with all the, all the issues in your life? Like, would you go to, go to him? He's way too concerned with bigger things than you. And you could come back and say that, well, the president would if I was one of his kids. And so in the same way, just like, yeah, God is the God of the universe, is, you know, has so many things that he is managing and controlling yet, but when he hears the cry of one of his children, he is right there with you. He hears you, so he cares. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's a, bi- there's a biography you need to read if you haven't yet. It's the man George Mueller, who God used in London in the 1800s to run an orphanage that literally served hundreds and hundreds of, of kids off the streets. And he is an amazing man of faith. There were so many stories of mornings where he'd have 60 kids in an orphanage and no food. And all they would do was pray, and then God would send somebody to the door with breakfast for everybody. And so one time people asked him, Mueller, how can you be so content and so at peace when you're living on the edge of moment by moment, not sure of how God's going to provide for you? And in that particular moment, he said, this week, I have rolled 60 cares on the Lord, and I know he has me. And so I'm going to walk through in joy and confidence. So cast your cares on the Lord. Why don't we pray? We think God doesn't care. God does care. So it doesn't matter how small it is, be in that spot where you're giving your cares to God. A second one is, a lot of times we don't think prayer will work. We just think, you know, this is kind of a waste of time. I'll, I'll just go through my checklist instead of taking time to pray to God. We've got to confront that in our lives. I think bottom line is we don't understand how weak we are. We don't understand how much we need prayer. Like sometimes people have the concept that if you're a good prayer, that's because you're a very disciplined person. You're a very spiritually mature person. And I would kind of flip that on its head. I think, I think whoever prayed in this room the most frequently last week is because you were in a place of great need. You knew you needed God. And I know in a room this size, there are many stories going on in our lives this week. And whoever it was that was the most desperate for God, you didn't have to plan to pray. You just prayed. And so I think a lot of times we just don't understand how weak we are. Even when we're having a great week, we, we are nothing compared to God and God's wisdom, God's power. And I think that's going to be one of the most humbling things for us when we get to heaven. And we see how great and how good God is. And we look back at stretches in our lives where we just ignored him. Or we said, God, I got this. I don't, I don't need you. So I, I think the more weak we realize we are, the more we just pray naturally. And I'd say the bottom line is this, that our inability to pray a lot of times is a good reflection that our relationship with God is dysfunctional. We just don't understand how great he is or how much he loves us or how much he wants to be a part of our lives. And so um, James is saying, if you're suffering in any way, pray. Let him pray, okay? So faith prays. And so that's one. So uh, pray when we're suffering. The second one is this, pray when we're celebrating, pray when we're celebrating. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And that makes a powerful one-two punch in your prayer life. There's this rhythm of praising God and thanking God, and then after that, asking him for things. I know for me personally, in my prayer times, I try to start with that. 
I try to start with some passages that remind me of how great God is, or, or I'll go through my life and think about all the ways God has been faithful to me, all the prayers that he's answered, and that infuses you, it inspires you to then go ahead and ask him for things, because you're reminded that he's great and good, and he's been faithful to you in the past. Can I encourage you, if you lead any kind of Bible study, or if you lead a ministry, if you lead a community group, can you please put this in as a regular rhythm that whenever you meet with your people that you start with praising God? Like what, even as a group or as a family or as a team, how have you seen God be faithful? Because it sets a whole different tone on the rest of your meeting. You're reminded right away who you're serving and who, who you're crying out to to help you do your ministry. So, um, so pray when, when we're celebrating. And um, what's, what's awesome about this week, you guys, is that in, in the United States in 2015, God has on our calendars once a year a holiday just set apart for Thanksgiving, I write for giving thanks. So I encourage you this week, make sure there's a time where you personally at least, or you and your family just step back and just celebrate. How has God been good to you this year? How do you thank him this year for how he has stepped into your lives? Let me give you a couple passages that you could use this week. Psalm 136 is a great one. It starts out, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's Psalm 136. And if you read that Psalm, it's like every verse starts with that statement and then it gives a reason why. Why do you give thanks to the Lord? And so maybe as a family, you write your own version of Psalm 136 this year and just remind yourselves of how God has been so good to you. Another passage to write down, Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 to 20. A great passage that it was God reminding his people uh, that when they step into the promised land, when things are going really well for them, do not forget your God who set you up to be in such a spot. So another great passage to use, but, but James's encouragement is pray when you're suffering, pray when you're celebrating. The third one is this, is that he encourages us to seek prayer when we are sick, to seek prayer when we are sick. In verse 14 and 15, he says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That, those two verses alone are, are very detailed, okay? And so uh, we could spend a long time, in fact, I did last hour, a long time on those verses. We do not have a long time here this morning, all right? So let's, let's hit a couple things here. What's humbling about this is that there are, I think, there are different biblical scholars that I really admire that kind of land in different places on what this exactly means. Everybody's in the same ballpark. Prayer is important, okay? We'll try to keep it there. But let me just share a few things here that I think is going on here. Uh, some people, uh, this word sickness, some people might push that aside and say, well, that's not being physically sick. That's being you know, spiritually sick or emotionally weak. And there are definitely times where that word is translated weak. But I really think what James is using here and <clears throat> the way it was used in the Gospels and the way <clears throat> Jesus used this word was a physical sickness. And so I think James here is referring to when you are physically sick, <clears throat> then, then pray. And he talks about this concept of calling the elders. Those are the leaders of the church. And the wording here 
when he says things like the elders are called to the sick person, that it's the elders doing the prayer, that it's the elders praying over the person as if the person is in a prone position. It sounds like this is somebody going through some intense physical sickness to the point that you bring in spiritual leaders to pray for this person. So there's a couple really cool things here. One is, and you see it throughout James, James encourages his people to be part of a church, to be part of the movement of God's people so that when you are in crisis, your thought is, I want leaders to come and pray for me. Uh, It's interesting, this is not like, I have a head cold, let's call the elders in. Like, my back hurts a little bit, let's call the elders in, right? So they wouldn't be able to do that. But this this is clearly a time of crisis. And so the thought of the person in need is, there is such a connection with their church that they think this this is what we need to do and this is what we want to do. And and we're going to see more of that coming up in the passage. But James was huge on us being connected with God and also being connected with other believers in order to make it through this this life, okay? So calling in the elders. And then he talks about this concept of anointing with oil. Call the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. This is the only time that the concept of anointing somebody with oil and then praying for their physical healing is linked together. There are many times in the New Testament where people pray for healing and the person is healed. Okay, that's important to know. I've been part of a prayer meeting before where a bunch of very godly people got together, prayed for somebody, and I thought the prayers were amazing and it was such a powerful time and there were tears. And and as we were leaving, um, somebody popped up and said, I have a, a vial of oil, we didn't use this. And it was almost like, okay, that's the JV prayer, now here comes the varsity prayer, okay? And it's like, I don't think so, okay? I think um, God will heal with or without oil, okay? That's the key, but so what's he getting at here? Uh, some people think this was a medicinal thing, like when uh, the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, when the guy was beat up on the road, the Good Samaritan used some oil to kind of soothe his wounds. Um, I do think it's a little more than that. I think there's a concept here of anointing with oil. I'm going to use the word symbolic, but I'm not doing that to diminish it. It pictured uh, anointing somebody or consecrating somebody before God. It's a really powerful thing when people who are very close to you and you are very sick come to you and in a unique way consecrate you to God. God, this is our friend. God, this is a member of our church that we love deeply, and you know they are very sick. And so the oil was, was to symbolize or signify this separation of this person and consecrating them before God. And God, we put them before you, and we ask you to come and heal him or her. And so in James's context in particular, maybe it was more, even more cultural than today, but I love it when believers today say, hey, can we anoint with oil here? Again, as long as we understand there's no magic in the oil, that it's God who's going to heal. And there's no way like we're playing a trump card on God. Okay, God, guess what? You have to heal now because we popped out the oil. Like it's not, it's not that. But it is a really, it can be a very significant, very meaningful practice. And I think that's what James is getting here, that as a body, you come around each other when you're sick. You consecrate each other before God and because you love each other so much. You're just praying for God to heal this person, all right? So... That's that one. Here's another statement we got to deal with where it says um, that the prayer of faith will save. And so sometimes people hear that because maybe you've had this experience that there's somebody you love, you pray for them to be healed, and they are. Like, it's like awesome. And then there's times you love people and you pray for them, 
and they are not healed. And uh, there's different things people do with that. One unhealthy thing people can do with that sometimes is to say that it's your fault, that that person didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith or because that person didn't have enough faith. There are people that manipulate this concept, I think, for some destructive means uh, in, in somehow assuming, uh, assuming that because that person didn't have faith or because I didn't have faith, that person didn't get healed. That's, that can be dangerous turf. So I think there's two ditches we need to avoid here. One is some people will then look at this and say, okay, well, it says uh, the prayer of faith will save. Maybe we mean there that God will just get them to heaven. Okay, so that's almost like a God cop-out card we can play. We prayed, God didn't answer it. Uh Uh-oh, does that mean God doesn't answer prayer? Let's just say it always means God will save them and they'll be okay in heaven, okay? So, but in James's passage here, he's not praying for their salvation. He's praying for them to be healed. You're bringing in elders and oil, not so that person will get to heaven, but because these people love this person, they want to see him healed, okay? So, we, so one truth is God does heal people. God heals people through the prayers of his people, all right? So don't diminish that. God loves to heal uh, through the prayers of his people. In fact, in the New Testament times, there were people with the gift of healing, that God loved to give people that gift so that when they prayed, people were healed. And there, there have been times where I have prayed for people and they have been healed. And you've had that too. And so what an amazing gift that is from God, that he hears our prayers, that our loved one is, is restored physically. Um, but the other ditch we need to avoid is, is if you are that person, if there are times that you have prayed and people have been healed, that you don't take that then and boast yourself up with it. That when God gives gifts to his body, it's not to elevate people. It's to elevate him. He's the one that gets the glory because he gives us gifts to use to then build up the whole body. And so if, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes if I hear somebody say, oh, have you heard about so-and-so and their healing ministry because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm open to that. God does heal through people. God does heal through the prayers of people. Um, but I also am leery that if, God, if, if, if you sense that God, that somebody is elevating themselves uh, through a healing ministry, that it's all about them, that's, that's pretty dangerous turf right there. It ought to be all about Jesus Christ, right? In fact, one thing in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says at the end times in the judgment, there's going to be people who come up to him uh, who have been condemned uh, to hell. And they're going to say to him, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me because they were evildoers. They didn't obey him. I believe people can have powers to do healing and do supernatural things and not do it for God's glory, but do it for theirs. So you have to watch both ditches. And I think the the clear truth is, is that God does heal and that God, God can use the prayers of his people to heal. But the next truth you need to add to that is this, is that God doesn't always heal immediately or God doesn't always heal in this lifetime. Paul is a great example of that. He was one of the strongest Christian leaders in, in the New Testament. There was times he prayed for a crippled guy in a town called Lystra and the guy was healed. There was a time where Paul was preaching and it was late at night and he was going long 
And the guy fell asleep during his sermon, fell out of his chair from the second story window, went and died. Like I would think, you know, preacher world here, you could say, hey, if you can't hang with me, that's your, that's your tough luck, buddy, you know, but, 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 but Paul went and healed this man, Eutychus is his name. So there's that, there's God clearly used Paul uh, to do um, powerful things in healing people. Uh, but there were also times in Paul's life where that did not happen. In fact, in his own life, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there was something going on in Paul's life that he called a thorn in the flesh. And so uh, the verses are up on the screen for you. Paul said, three, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in the flesh that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, Sam, I am content with weakness and insult and hardship and persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There was a time where Paul went to a city called, a region called Galatia, and he was sick, and the people there had to nurse him to health. There was a time where one of his teammates named Epaphroditus was very sick to the point of death. And in those situations, Paul wasn't ripping himself or ripping his friends for not having enough faith. Paul just knew. There's times where I pray and God heals. There's times where I pray and God is showing his weakness or his strength to me in my weakness. So I think the the perfect balance here is what we see Jesus pray the night before he uh, was crucified in Mark 14, verse 36, where Jesus said this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I think the prayer of faith, when you are facing sickness, either personally or in somebody you really love, I think the true prayer of faith is at the same time saying, God, I know you can heal. God, you can do amazing things. We are asking you to heal this person. But it takes equal faith, if not greater faith, to also pray. But God, not our will, but your will. You do what you want. There's a powerful man in the Bible named Stephen that in the early church, he was the one who was persecuted that actually ramped up persecution in Jerusalem so that believers got scattered. And those are the people James is writing to. Stephen was getting hit with rocks by people. And he was crying out. He was praying. God heard those prayers. God could have stepped in and stopped those rocks. God could have stepped in and rescued Stephen, but God allowed Stephen to die. And as a result of that, Stephen ascended into heaven for all of eternity, and the gospel spread so that thousands upon thousands could meet Jesus because of the persecution. And so, um, God, all things are possible for you, yet not what I will, but what you will. That is the prayer of faith when we're crying out for, for healing, all right? So, um, that's that one. Okay, here's number four. Okay, so there's a lot here, you guys. We could have talked about that for a long time. Um, let's go to number four here. Uh, you pray when you need to confront sin in our lives. We pray when we need to confront sin. It's where it says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay, this passage here linked with praying for somebody who's sick, you got to ask the question, is James saying here that if we're sick, it's because we sinned? And you look through the Bible on that, and there are times where sin is a result, uh, or sickness is a result of our sin, but not always. There was a time in John 9 where there was a blind man. The disciples said, 
Jesus, who sinned, this man or his father or his parents? And, and Jesus said, nobody sinned. So his blindness was not the result of, of sin. So let me say a couple things. Sometimes sin uh, directly causes sickness. And so it's a good thing to do when we're sick, as we should every day, to go before God and say, God, is there any sin in my life? Is there something I'm doing that's contributing to this? There's a great psalm to use that, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, it's a healthy thing to do. I think God sometimes uses our sickness, even, even if sin isn't involved. A time of sickness or a time of pain can be a real cleansing time in our lives. I've seen that in my life. When you're slowed down um, because of something physical, it, it kind of gives God... Uh, more attention, like we have more time and our pain directs us to him. C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone. It's like God getting to us finally because we are broken and we're reminded of our frailty. So sometimes sin is involved, but, but sometimes it's not, but it's always good to search our hearts and look for, for sin there. But another statement it says is that we are to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. Here's the picture that I think James is getting at. He's envisioning these believers that he's writing to be so close with each other that they're praying for each other regularly and that part of their prayers are they are so real with each other that they're admitting when they mess up. They're admitting their flaws and their sins. You know, I can imagine a group of men praying for each other. I've been too harsh with my wife this week. My tone has been so negative. Would you pray for me? And so that kind of community where you can be honest about what's going on and you're confessing your sins to God and experiencing the freedom of being forgiven by God, but even, even powerfully being connected to other people where you are praying uh, for your own personal sins. There's a direct link between our health and our spiritual life. Even many physicians have, have seen that. Many studies have demonstrated that. There was one in Time Magazine uh, a few years ago that pulled research out of the University of Texas that said, for example, the average person who goes to church once a week, that there will be, their lifespan will tend to be 6.6 years longer. Or if you do a religious, a, a spiritual activity with other people twice a week, it goes up to seven or eight years longer, okay? So those of you are going like, am I wasting my time at church? No, like you're, you're getting that back, right? So there's a real connection between our spiritual lives and our physical lives, uh, particularly when it comes to dealing with our sin. Uh, Romans 8.13, Paul warns us that we better be killing sin, that sin will kill us. And sin loves to stay hidden it loves to stay in the dark places in our lives. But when we confess our sins to God and we're cleansed from that, there's relief. And in fact, if you listen to anybody's testimony, anybody that's been battling a persistent sin or an addiction or a hidden sin, if you hear people have been delivered from those kind of sins, almost every time part of their story is that they invited other people into that battle. They invited others to pray for them and to hold them accountable for that. And that's where the breakthrough came. Look at Psalm 32. Let me just read you a couple of verses from David. David said this, when I kept silent about his sin, uh, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as if in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my sin to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I wonder if for some of us, the reason there's no joy or there's no hunger for God, there's no excitement, 
I wonder if it's, if it's hidden sin just weighing us down. And so what James is inviting his friends to, what he's inviting us into is that regular rhythm of confessing our sins to him and, and to one another, to the people in our lives. So we pray when we need to confront sin. Uh, we pray when we need strength. He, he says this, um, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Here's a powerful story I just came across um, uh, this fall in some of my reading. It's about a guy, you can Google his name, Kevin Hines. Kevin Hines was a man that survived a jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. At the time, he was 19 years old. The Golden Gate Bridge is the number one place in our country for people to take their lives uh, for whatever reason. And so at his point in his life, he was 19 years old, and he didn't know this, but he was later classified as manic depressive and bipolar. But what led him to jump off the bridge that day was he kept hearing messages in his mind about him being worthless and no use, and he should kill himself. And so... uh, he was riding the bus going to the Golden Gate Bridge to, f- to f- fulfill what these voices were telling him to do. But there was a part of him that was just hoping that somebody in the bus would reach out to him and talk to him. And he said he would take that as a sign that he should continue on with his life. But nobody looked at him. In fact, everybody got off the bus and he was just waiting there alone. And finally the bus driver just hollered at him, get off the bus! And so there he goes. And so he starts walking across the bridge. And then right when he's to the point where he's going to jump, this beautiful woman starts walking toward him. He's like, this is the person that's going to set me free from what I'm about to do. And she said, she was from a foreign country. She said, would you take a picture of me, please? He's like, can't she tell what I'm about to do? He took her picture and she left. So he went ahead and he jumped off the bridge. And when you jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, you have about 4.4 seconds. Your body would hit the water at about 75 miles an hour. And uh, you, you die an excruciatingly painful death. The coroner says, you know, of, of all the bodies you find in, in his occupation, the people that jump off this bridge, it's like you're, uh, let's not go there. Let's just say it's bad, okay? We'll just, I, there's, yeah, we won't do that. But so this guy jumps off, Kevin Hines jumps off the bridge, and on his way down, he, it's amazing what you can do in four seconds, especially before you're about ready to hit water at 75 miles an hour. He started realizing, why am I doing this? Like, this isn't right. And he, he had a, a church experience in his early years, and so he just started crying out to God. And when he had started jumping, he was going head first. And when he realized, wait, I don't want to do this. God, help me. God, help me. And he flipped himself around. And later, the doctor said the position that he landed was, it was feet out a little bit. It was kind of like in a seated position. He still shattered both his legs. He shattered two vertebrae. But he lived through that initial jump. He, they estimated he went about 80 feet under the water, and now he's like, oh, now I'm still alive. Now what am I going to do, drown? And so eventually with no legs and, and all these broken bones, he gets to the surface. And now he's like, how am I going to stay afloat? And if you've heard the story before, this is the amazing part. Like if it's not already, he starts feeling a bump under him and around him. And he's going like, okay, great. I didn't die from jumping in the water. Now I'm going to get eaten by sharks, right? That's what's bumping me. But actually it was a sea lion that was bumping him and keeping him from going under until a Coast Guard cutter came and rescued him. And they said, you have a 50-50 chance. If you make it through this night, you'll live. And he made it through that night. 
And through that, he began a relationship with God. And through that, he went into, for himself, getting counseling. Now he works as a counselor. And he has spent time on the Golden Gate Bridge, literally finding people who were like him and talking them off the bridge and out of jumping. And so you talk about when it says that prayer is powerful. There are so many stories. And that's one that hit me in a fresh way this fall. That, and you look at the study of the man named Elijah, a man with a nature just like ours. He's one of my favorite Old Testament characters. Awesome things happened when Elijah prayed. But, but James is very clear. He's a man with a nature just like ours. He got depressed. He got hungry. Uh, he got frustrated. He was afraid. And yet when he prayed, uh, God did amazing things through his prayers. Jesus said this. I think the key, how can we pray? James said it was the prayers of a righteous man. How can we be sure that our prayers are righteous? Jesus said this in John 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so the ways to make sure that our prayers are righteous, that our prayers can be powerful, is that you line up what you're praying for with the things that Jesus lived for, the things that Jesus taught, uh, the things that that Jesus lived out. We pray according to Jesus' will, uh, and powerful things happen. When Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain, that wasn't his idea, that was God's idea. He just prayed out what God's will was for the people, and then God did powerful things. So if there's an incentive to be reading the Bible, to be understanding the name of Jesus and who Jesus is, Jesus said, if you pray according to my name, I will do it. So powerful things happen uh, when we pray. If you need strength, you pray. And the last one is this, you pray when other people are straying. And he says this, other people are straying from God. He says, my brothers, if anybody wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In his last punchline, last two verses to the people that he loves, James says, I want you to be a community of people so close to one another that if you sense that somebody's starting to wander away, you go get them. You go help them. The word wander there sounds kind of innocent. Like when my kids were younger and they might get distracted by a butterfly and wander toward the street, you know, innocently. This is more of the look I got from my black lab the other day when I said to Bubba, Bubba, come. And Bubba went to the pond to chase geese. He looked at me and said, no. Like he went to get the geese. So this word is more of that, that there are times, and maybe you've had them in your life, in your relationship with God, that you see what God says and you go, no. And you just go do because the pleasure of sin is overriding your pursuit of God. When you have moments like that in your life, you need a community of people around you that are honest enough to look you in the eye and say, you're wandering from God. I'm going to pray for you and I want to help keep you here. Again, that's, again, why? Those are the last two verses in James's letter. He is so pleading with them as you're going through these hard times, be a community of people that you don't allow each other to wander off. So you pray. Staying close to Jesus is a group effort. You are not designed to do this alone, okay? So, man, you just had a lot thrown at you. Let me just close this. And I really think if there are two themes this morning in this passage, um, God, why did you bring us together this morning? Why did we read this passage? I think two things. One, God wants you to connect with him more closely. And I think God wants you to be in a closer spot with other believers, so much in, in a close spot that you're to the point where you're confessing, freely confessing sin with each other, that you're helping keep each other from wandering from God. And so let's just close in prayer. And we asked earlier, we asked God to show you one thing, ask God to show you something he wanted you to do. 
Why don't you reflect on that right now? What, what did God say to you? And what is he calling you to do this morning? God, thank you for speaking to your people. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you long for us to talk to you, that when we're suffering, you want us to pray. You want us to talk to you. When we're sick, you want us to pray. And so you just want us to talk to you. You want to be so central and close in our lives that we just talk to you all the time. So God, bring us to that place. And you don't want us to be alone. You don't want us to do this life solo. And so God, give us the courage to step into deeper and more authentic relationships with the people around us. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your people. I thank you for loving us and teaching us these things today. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.